Well, good morning, nine o'clock people at Good Shepherd. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here. And this, again, this is the fourth Sunday in this series all about the promise of Christmas today. Last week was called Promise Breakers, and, and today it's called Broken Promises. You're like, what? You'll, you'll see how all of those work together today as you're on different ends of the role of promises in your life. And uh, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the Good News of Matthew, chapter 2. And you, you'll just want to keep your finger there at Matthew chapter 2. Uh, if your Bible is loaded on your phone, you can scroll down to that place. However you can find it, we, we encourage you to do that. And in, and in just a minute, we're going to be uh, lifting our Bibles. If you've never been here before, you'll see what that is like. But we, we do that when we gather together. But in that spirit of lifting uh, our scripture together as, as, as our authority, just wanted to let y'all know we got some good news. Y'all ready for some good news at, at this church? We, uh, as a lot of, not everybody may know, and that's okay. It means you're probably normal. But as you may know, back in August and September, we made all these moves to move towards becoming an independent church, Good Shepherd Church of Charlotte. And the good news is this final week, all that stuff got finalized, and we are, yeah, it's really good news, and we are, so when, when, we, when we say Good Shepherd Church, a lot of people worked really hard to make all this happen, and that we have exclusive ownership of, of everything that we're sitting in the middle of, and so when we say we're Good Shepherd Church of Charlotte, we actually kind of really mean it, and, and so much of that stuff, and, and so much of our move in that direction has to do with the fact that we don't worship the Bible, but we love it. And by loving the Bible, that helps us to adore the Bible Savior, who is Jesus. And because of that conviction that, that we know the Bible is a library, and we know that the authors uh, have their own genius, and yet behind it all and through it all, we know that the Bible, we believe that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And you may still be wrestling with that, and that's, that's great, that's fine. We just want you to know who we are. We're a church, we're in leadership, we believe, inspired, eternal, and true. And out of that conviction comes this custom that when we talk about the scripture, we lift it up. And that's just our way, it's our, our way of being kind of strange, because you're like, what, what is this? I've never seen this before. But it's also a way of acknowledging that we don't have life figured out, and we get into all kinds of trouble when we think we do. But we know that the Lord has life figured out, and we're so glad to surrender to his authority. Amen. And so uh, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the fact that we get to engage with Scripture today. Thank you for the fact that so many people have been moved and, and, and touched and motivated by looking at Christmas through the lens of promise. And, and Father, I just pray that even as this message may go into painful territory for people, I pray that you would fill me with the same Holy Spirit who anointed Matthew and the other remarkable authors of Scripture so that what I say would reflect the joy and the truth and the enduring power of the goodness of Jesus. For in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we will be... Uh, Looking in, in Matthew chapter 2 in the Bible at the story of, of what is commonly known as the wise men. But I just want you to know that before they were the wise men, they were the betrayed men. And you're like, huh? I'm like, yeah, 
Before they were the wise men, they were the betrayed men. And I can't wait to show you how. And, and, and if you have no familiarity at all with the Christmas story, that's okay. Just sort of listen in. You might learn a couple of things about the Christmas story. If you have some familiarity with the Christmas story, those of us who do have a little bit of familiarity with it, we, we tend to kind of, what like we love the wise men. We love the fact that there was a star that, that guided them. We, we love the fact that we, we sing we three kings, even though we don't know whether there were two or four or 17. We love the fact that their gifts of, of frankincense, gold and frankincense and myrrh set into motion the pattern of gift giving that we still have every single year at Christmas. Maybe we kind of love that. We, we even love those uh, street signs and billboards that you may have seen that, that say, wise men still seek him. Prompting me, the, the first time I ever saw one of those, I was like, oh, why didn't I think of that first? Why? We, we love the wise men, but before they were the wise men, they were the betrayed men. And here's what I mean. Take a look, chapter 2 of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 1 and 2. Starts this way. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So this is after Jesus was born because it says after Jesus was born. Next week, next Sunday morning on Christmas Eve at 9, 10, 30, and noon, we'll talk about Jesus actually being born. So after Jesus was born in Judea, during the time of King Herod, who's a representative of the, of the oppressor government, Magi, meaning wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the, these wise men, Magi, notice it does not give a number of how many of them there are, but they come from the east, the, the east of Bethlehem. You know what that means? If you look on a map and well, what's east of Bethlehem like Iraq? Iran, ironically enough. And so these Iraqi guys, these Iranian guys, they're like, we're all into who it is who's going to be king of the Jews. And they make this long trek. And here's what happens in verse 3 when they finally get to Jerusalem. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, Herod is, is disturbed because... A king has been born in a land that already has a king, him. And you may be able to have two kings in a, in a, in a hand of cards, but you can't have, not that you ever would, but he, you can't have two kings in the same land. And, and when it says that, that Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him, does that mean that, that all of Jerusalem is really disturbed because, oh, they see Herod is unhappy and we feel so bad because we just love our guy Herod and if he's not happy, well, we're, no, that's not what it means. It means they know from very painful, oppressive experience that when Herod's not happy, he inflicts his misery on everybody that he governs. So Jer Jerusalem is disturbed because Herod, this really bad guy, is himself disturbed, and they know they're fixing to pay the price. Well, skip down to verse 7 and see the next thing that happens in the story. Because Herod finds out that these two or four or 17 unnumbered wise men make it 
to the area. Then Herod called the Magi and secretly found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. So Herod has this newfound interest in astronomy or astrology or how these two ologies work together. And he's found out they followed the star and he wants to find out exactly what it all means. And look at what he says in verse eight. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report him to me, comma, so that I too may go and worship him. Ah, a detail you may have missed in a story that you may know, but here's Herod saying to the Magi, ah, hey, Iranian guys, I, I want to get my praise on. I, I've heard that this baby has been born and I want to go meet him. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry the banners. I'm going to run around the sanctuary. I'm going to get a, a whoop and a holler. I'm going to raise my hands. We, you all tell me when he arrives and we are going to have a night of worship for baby Jesus. I promise, scouts honor, I promise. That, that, that's what Herod is saying. And, and you know, when, when a promise comes from a position of authority in your life, maybe it's your boss or, or your parent or, or a pastor or, or even somebody working on your car or in your HVAC system stuff, you have no idea how it really operates. And they get in there and it's like magicians that they can make stuff work. And so this promise that comes from this position of authority and, and you, you almost just have to believe it. It, 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 the, the, with authority comes believability. And so no doubt the Magi received this promise from Herod and they were like, okay, when we find that baby, we're going to send Herod the GPS coordinates of where he is. And then we are going to get our praise on together for this child. Scouts honor, I promise. But then of course, you look at verse 12. And Herod's true agenda begins to be revealed. Verse 12, this is talking about the Magi. And having been warned in a dream, by the way, between verses 8 and 12 is where they actually find the baby and they give him the gifts and moms and dads, I just wanted to spare you that this, this, week, this year. Verse 12, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they get this warning in the dream. Herod is not who he has promised you to be. You're getting ready to be betrayed. You need to go home back to Iraq or back to Iran or back to the east. You go by another route. And then Herod's true agenda gets revealed in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted and outlasted and outplayed by the, I might have added those other two, outwitted by the Magi. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Oh my goodness. This actually happened. It's called the murder of the innocents. And it's the kind of butchery and savagery in the same part of the world that we saw on October 7th. And Herod's plans get revealed for what they were all along. And all of his promises were just dust. All of his promises were absolutely worthless. 
And the Magi, having been on the receiving end of these broken promises, they're given this release, they're given this ability to go home by another route. And so they don't have to succumb to, to all of Herod's betrayals. But, but it occurs to me that as we read this story, that, that, that before the wise men were so wise, they were betrayed. I, I realize they're not the last ones, are they? that there are so many of you who as you look back in the rear view mirror of your life and the rear view mirror of your life may just be yesterday that you have been on the receiving end of people over promising and under delivering. You have been on the receiving end of broken promises. And for some of you, it was so much like with the Magi and Herod that the person who made you those promises that they ended up not keeping that they never intended to keep them in the first place. The promises were fake from the beginning. And then for others of you, promises were made with relatively good intentions, I suppose, and yet they were not kept. And whether it was purposeful or whether it just circumstantial, you're left trying to manage all of the debris field and you're like, when the people closest to me, when people in positions of authority have broken these promises, how in the world do I get beyond it? I mean, just think about it. Happens all, all over. Think about when you buy a bag of chips and you can't wait to dig into the bag. You know, the bag of chips feels so full and there's gonna be so much salty goodness inside and you open it up. And it's one quarter chip and three quarter air. And even though you can't eat just one, you're done in like five minutes because the, the promise is broken. And then others of you, you may remember because it happened to you. And when your dad promised on, it was his weekend. Remember those? It's dad's weekend. He's going to pick you up at 9 a.m. and there you were on the curb. Bags are packed and football under your arm and you can't wait for his weekend and he, and he never shows up and maybe never intended to. How do you get beyond that? Or others, you were there when your mate said, forsaking all others, be faithful to you as long as we both shall live and forsaking others became hooking up with others. And how do you get beyond that? Then others of you, it was that counselor, that therapist, that pastor who took you under his wing and from under his wing took you, took you into all kinds of dark places and made you promise, let's just keep this between the two of us. This is our secret. How do you move beyond that? It's even me, pastor, colleagues, preacher, friends, there when they took these vows of ordination, I, I, I promised to promote a gospel and it turns out they didn't even believe in the gospel they were promising to promote. So how in the world do you move beyond all of that? So yeah, it's you and it's me and it's so many of us. We're trying to navigate the debris field left by the people we should have trusted the most, we loved the most, and they, they, we ended up, they been, ended up being the least trustworthy. And so how do you get beyond it for all of us? And here's why this matters. Here the, here's why this matters a lot. At Christmas, 
this coming week, you're going to see those people who broke their promises to you. As family gathers together, you're going to be in close proximity with some of those people who've hurt you more than anyone else. You're dreading it because they're denying it. And here's the other thing. There are people over this land and they're dreading the meeting with you because you were the one either purposefully or circumstantially you made those promises that you ended up not keeping and so whether you're on the receiving end or the giving end how how do you navigate it because the, the way that the magi navigated they, they went to sleep and God warned him in a dream, don't go back to Herod. Don't give him those GPS coordinates. There is no night of praise coming for baby Jesus. And I'm not going to recommend that. I'm not going to, well, just go to sleep and God will speak to you in your dream and you'll, you'll know it. No. Instead, I think there's a, another twist, another way to, to look at, at, at all of this. Because as, as you try to understand and, and overcome all the promises that people have broken to you have, you, have you pondered to think about, do you even know about all the ones that Jesus kept? All the promises that Jesus still keeps? I mean, it started a long, long time ago. It started 700 years before Jesus was even born, making promises in, in the prophet Isaiah. Check it out, Isaiah chapter, chapter 53, verse 5 and verse 12. It's going to be up on the screen. It says this. It, it's, it, it's describing the cross 700 years before the cross ever happened. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And then verse 12, same chapter. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Promise made in Isaiah 700 BC. Promise kept on Calvary. Or how about the, the promise that Jesus himself made in, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. And he, and he said this to his followers. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And, and promise made that if you follow him, your life won't always be easy. It will be significant. And promise kept by the fact that we're here today. Or how about Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so promise made, notice the I will, promise made there. That if you, if you seek peace, man, all I want in my life is just peace. You'll miss it. If you seek Jesus, you get peace thrown in. And promise kept by all of you who have learned that the hard way or lived it the easy way. And then one more, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So promise made of his presence, even in the middle of, of the mission, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And, and promise is kept in the fact that, that a teenage atheist who couldn't look adults in the eye, much less talk to a group of people, is talking to you right now. At, at every step Along the way, people, you can either ponder and live in the reality of all the promises that people have broken to you, or you can choose to savor, to think about, to become familiar with all the promises that Jesus keeps. And so for every one of you for whom betrayal is sort of your identity, every one of you, you felt that when I was talking about dad's weekend or a spouse who turned forsaking all others into hooking up with all others, or even a person like a pastor or a counselor who betrayed you on the most intimate of levels. Here's what I want you to know. You will overcome the promises that people break when you cherish the ones Jesus keeps. You'll overcome the promises that people around you break when you cherish, not just when you know it, not just when you recite, when you cherish and savior and take delight in all the ones that Jesus keeps. See, you can't rewrite history. You can't necessarily close up open wounds. All you can do is change how you respond to it. All you can do is change where you choose to locate your mind. And I simply believe that God has brought you here and God has brought me here on this very occasion to get your mind off of all the promises that people have broken so that you can instead center your mind on all the promises that Jesus keeps. Because here's a sad, sad reality that I know is true of a lot of you. Some of you, a lot of you, you like your status as a victim. Oh, you, you wouldn't say that so bluntly. And, and some of you are not aware of it at all. And others of you have a shadowy awareness of it. And, and others of you are pretty self-aware. But I know that there are people here who love their status as being a victim of the broken promises. Your betrayal is your identity. And if you couldn't talk about it, if you couldn't live in it, you wouldn't even know who, you, who it would be. In fact, for some of you, the fact that you have been betrayed, you use that as a reason never to progress in life, never to have healthy relationships yourself. You treat that betrayal kind of like a big cat treats its kill. Always going back to just making sure it's still there. Yeah, taking a bite, bite here and a bite there. Just making sure that it's still there so that you can just get some sick, sad nourishment from it whenever you want. Well, if that's you or you're just sort of realizing with, with all, all the subtlety of a skillet to the face that that's you today, here's the good news. Christmas of 2023 is your opportunity to move from victim to victor, 
that God doesn't want you stationary in that land of being on the receiving end of broken promises, feeling like your betrayal is your identity. No, your betrayal is not your identity. Jesus' resurrection is... And how dare we allow ourselves to live in that place of failure when we can live in his place of victory? You will overcome the promises that people break when you cherish the ones that Jesus keeps. It's a little bit like that friend that I have and I communicate with him mostly, mostly via text. I mean, could I be any more 21st century? You know, I know, I, I know, I know how you don't have to have real relationships with people anymore. You can just text them. And, but, but what we, what we do in texting is we'll text each other three words, chased, caught, kept, chased, caught, kept. This reminder that when we were going our own way, when we were blowing our own lives up, Jesus chased us relentlessly and he caught us and now he keeps us tenaciously. And you can either think about all the ways that you've broken promises to other people or all the ways that other people have broken promises to you, or you can cherish the fact that you've been chased, caught, and kept. Promise keeper indeed. Along the way, I, I want you to ask yourself two questions. We're going to throw these up on the screen so, so you, can, you can keep ponder them, take a picture of them, write, write them down. But the first question I want you to ask yourself, am I like what I resent? Am I, am I similar to that which causes me so much pain? In other words, do I get so upset with other people breaking their promises on me because... Ugh, I've broken promises to other people. Am I like what I resent? And the second question is, am I paying the price of idolatry? Meaning, do I feel broken promises so acutely and so painfully because I have put people up on pedestals and by people up on pedestals, I could mean parents or siblings or mates or gurus or guides. I put them up on a pedestal and I have asked them to meet needs that only Jesus can truly meet. And man, I have felt this throughout my professional life 30 years or so with other preachers and along the way I'd always come up with new preacher heroes I mean it started out so young I was like oh that's who I want to be when I grow up and then, then five years later no that's my that's my role model now that my role model is gone and five years later no no that's the guy that's the star under which I'm under whom I'm gonna under hitch my own wagon hero after hero after hero and you know what happened with all my preacher heroes all of them fell with a thunderous crash off the pedestal that I'd put them on, some of them through bad acting and others of them through toxic teaching. And at each time, Jesus was like, do you get the message yet, son? I am the only hero you need. And yes, indeed, he is. You will only overcome the promises that people break when you cherish the ones 
that Jesus keeps. And if it's going to take some pedestal bashing in your life and in my life to get it, that's where Jesus will take us through. Because Jesus, he's not only the Lord of I am, he is the God of I will. Did you catch that? He's not only the great I am, he's the even greater I will. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate some of those promises that Jesus makes together. And so as you are able, I want you to rise on your feet as you're able. And we have some promises out of the words of Jesus's mouth that we're going to, we're not going to read them together. We're going to declare them together. And they're up because they're up on the screen. And we are going to do this as a community. Let's go ahead and begin those promises from from Matthew 4 and verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Matthew 10, 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Matthew 11, 28. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. John 6, 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. John 14, 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Not just, and John 14, last phrase, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. It's not just the Lord of I am, he's the God of I will. And you will overcome the promises people break when you cherish the ones Jesus keeps.